Church, my name is Jess and we'll be reading the Bible together today. We are reading from Revelation 21 verses 1 to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, agate, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, onyx, the sixth, ruby, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, turquoise, the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. 
I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. This is the word of the God. Thanks be to God. What do you imagine when you think of heaven? What do you imagine when you think of the place where you're going to spend an eternity with your friend, the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you imagine when you think about all your people that you love dearly who have trusted in Christ, they're going to be with you for all eternity. What do you imagine? What do you imagine heaven is going to be like? I think most Christians make three mistakes. Some Christians have what I call a, a syrupy view of heaven, this sickly sweet syrupy view of heaven where we make heaven into something that we would like it to be. Even popular authors like Randy Alcorn and Philip Yancey, they're in cloud cuckoo land. Here's what they say. Heaven is a diverse landscape. I have a theory that heaven will offer faithful Christians whatever they sacrificed on earth for Jesus' sake. So my mountain climbing friend who intentionally lives in the slums of Chicago will have Yosemite Valley all to himself. It's a nice idea, but it's totally unbiblical. Please don't have a syrupy view. Please don't have a sentimental view. Way too many of us, if we're honest, we just hope that everyone's going to be there. When anybody dies, regardless of who they are or what they believe, we like to say, oh, we're there in heaven looking down. That is nonsense. But way too many Christians have what I call a sloppy view of heaven or a shallow view. Uh, when we talk about heaven, we, we kind of go, oh, yeah, it'll be okay. Uh, when a Christian dies young, 
we as Christians talk about all the things they've, they've missed out on. When a Christian is diagnosed with a terminal illness, we, we encourage them to go and do all the things they wanted to do. And the underlying assumption is that this world has more to offer than heaven does. Please don't have a sentimental, syrupy, or shallow view of heaven. My aim tonight is to give us a biblical view that will get us excited. Get us excited about being in heaven. When I say that word heaven, I don't mean the, the intermediate state where you go when you die to meet Jesus face to face as you wait your resurrection body. I'm talking about after the final judgment day, after Jesus Christ has returned, after you've got your resurrection body, what is that place going to be like where you're going to spend all eternity? What's the new heavens and the new earth going to be like? So how would you answer the question, what is heaven like? What is heaven like? Here are some of my words. Amazing. Incredible. Exciting. Enjoyable, refreshing, fascinating, interesting, spectacular, restful, invigorating. Don't you long for heaven? Uh, Wayne Gruden wrote this, Heaven is the place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. Love that. Where God most fully makes known his presence to bless. Now we just see in part, then we'll see fully. Now we experience God in a minute kind of way, then we'll see him in all his glory. Here's the problem. Our minds can't really comprehend a world without sickness or sadness or suffering. We just can't get that. We've never seen that. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, our ability to imagine what heaven will be like is like two infants in a womb talking about what they'll be doing once they're born at 25 years old. They have no point of reference. But we do have a point of reference. It's called Revelation 21 and 22, the the very end of all things, where, where God in his kindness gives John just a glimpse of heaven, just a sneak peek of what heaven's going to be, be like. It starts with these words, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, when you read those words, new heaven and new earth, your mind is supposed to go back to the very beginning, to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we're supposed to think back to Eden to that magnificent creation where everything was beautiful and everything was good and we as human beings were made in the perfect image of God with perfect relationships and perfect rule and perfect righteousness. That was Eden. But our Lord Jesus said these famous words, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, evangelicals love to focus on the second half of that verse, my words will never pass away, but the first half is also true. Heaven and earth will pass away. This world is passing away. My favorite chapter is Romans chapter 8, where Paul says creation is groaning. Great word. Creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. That's a great picture of our world. Our world is not as it should be. 
Genesis 1 was this perfect symphonic picture of land and animals and water and fish and humans all playing the same tune and it was beautiful but now it's it's screeching it's discordant it's frustrated it's decaying this world is passing away but God will create a new heaven a new earth and that word new in Revelation 21 is not your usual word for new it's not the the chronologically new it's a new quality It's a new kind. It's a perfect kind. That's the idea behind the word new. I love getting new things. You know know when you get a new iPhone and you take it out of the box and you sort of look at it and you play with it and it feels good? It's a new iPhone, but it's still an iPhone. Or like if you get a new car, if you ever bought a new car, that, that, that beautiful smell of a brand new car that you can never replicate. It's a new car, but it's still new. To the car. This, this new earth, it will be new, but it's still an earth. There's a massive debate amongst theologians. Uh, will this new creation be a restoration or a recreation? So, so will God restore this old earth and make it perfect again? Or will God destroy this earth and completely recreate a new earth? And I know that lots of People quote 2 Peter chapter 3 where it says that this earth will be destroyed by fire and they argue for a brand new creation. But I would argue this, that God destroyed, same way God destroyed the earth at the flood in the time of Noah. Yep. But he didn't obliterate it. He didn't start from scratch again. He recreated, he reformed. And creation before sin was still good, very good. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to redeem and to restore all that God has made, not just humanity. Or Isaiah 65, that prophetic hope that the the current created order will be restored, that's the word, restored in a new creation. Or, Or take the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He wasn't recreated, he was resurrected with his perfect body. We will be resurrected with our perfect bodies. So I want to argue that God will not abandon this creation. No, God will redeem his creation. He will renew it. He will transform it. He will refashion it. It will be Eden restored. It will be the old earth perfectly redeemed and perfectly raised and perfectly restored. And that will change the way that you see the world today. So what's heaven like? Three Ps. It's a place. Pretty obvious, it's a place, a literal place, a real place. Please don't think heaven is just a, this spiritual realm where we're floating around. It's a real place, as real as the, the feel of sand under your feet at Balmoral Beach. Uh, Jesus called it my father's house or a place of many mansions, a place as big as New York or London or, or Sydney or Paris. Uh, this present earth, this Present earth is a good reference point for the new earth. So yes, there'll be dirt and water and there'll be rocks and trees and flowers and animals and people and rain and snow and wind and natural wonders and earth without all those things would not be earth. But certain things will not be in heaven. And this is the really good news. Look at verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Surfers find that verse very distressing. (laughs) Now, he could be 
saying literally there's no sea in heaven. You know, three quarters of this earth is covered with oceans. He could be saying in the new earth there'd be no oceans. There'd still be water there because you've got the river of life. But remember in the Bible the word sea is used as a picture of evil and a picture of distress and a picture of enemies. I think he's saying there's no sea, that this is a place where there's no evil, there's no enemy, there's no trouble. Because look at verse 4, it's a beautiful verse. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So no tears in heaven, no tears of sadness that is. I find that super exciting. So many days are filled with tears, aren't they? Things happen to us that hurt us. Stuff happens that we find sad, and none of that's going to be in heaven. There's no death there, verse 4. Isn't that good news? There's no more coffins, no more cemeteries, no more funeral homes, no more nursing homes, no more hospitals. There's no mourning or crying in there. The word there is actually sorrow. The Psalms are one of my favorite books of the Bible. I love the Psalms because I can relate to them. I can relate to how that psalmist feels as he's grieving and he experiences pain. We won't need the psalms in heaven because there's no sorrow there. There's no pain, verse 4. You know, 20% of Australia live with chronic pain every day. No pain, no Panadol, no paramedics. It's this beautiful place where there's, there's no bitterness. There's no living with regret. There's no remorse. There's no relationships marked by miscommunication or hurt. There's no sense of failure. All that's been left behind. There's no suffering. All your suffering will have been redeemed and rewarded. There's no loneliness. No crime. And we'll never say, hope you have a good day. Because every day is going to be a great day. This is a place that we're headed to. It's called a city in verse 2. I, I, I saw a holy city. It's holy because it's set apart for God. And it's just, just beautiful. It's just magnificent. It is otherworldly. Verse 11, it shone with the, the glory of God, the splendor, the majesty, the awe of God is shining from this place. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. We can't imagine this. The walls are made of jasper, verse 18, and the, the city of pure gold is as pure as glass. Is this literal? Maybe. It could be. All this incredible stuff that we just can't imagine. Chapter 22, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great seat and each side stood the tree of life. And we're supposed to read chapter 21 and 22 and just imagine this this place of extravagant beauty and astonishing wonder and lavish life. We're supposed to imagine abundant parks and rolling meadows and flowing streams and flowers in constant bloom and fruit trees of every kind and every species of plant you can think of without pestilence or disease and precious stones lying on the ground to play with, emeralds and diamonds and rubies and Imagine bright conversations and music come from every direction. Imagine arts and communication and storytelling and dancing and all the good things you love about life. In heaven, I'm still going to run. 
It's just that my knees won't ache anymore. I love my prayer walks. Being often I get distracted or interrupted. None of that. I just talk to God face to face. I'll enjoy rest, physical and spiritual. I'll enjoy everything that God places in front of me. I won't long for something I haven't got. I won't resent what someone else has got. I'll have no bucket list in heaven. I love the story of the, the, the dying woman who called her pastor to plan her funeral. And she said, I want an open coffin. And in the coffin, I want a Bible, my Bible. And I want you to put a fork in my right hand. And she went, a fork? And this woman said this, all my life, pastor, all my life I've gone to so many church potluck dinners and when the main course was over, they came to clear the table, and then someone would always say to me, keep your fork, keep your fork. And that was my favorite part of the meal. Because I knew there was something better coming. It might be a velvety chocolate cake. It might be a deep dish apple pie. And I knew it would be wonderful, and it would be full of substance. So, Pastor, I want people to ask you, what's that fork all about? And you can say, keep your fork, because the best is yet to come. Maybe it's a visual aid for you tonight as you have your dinner. Look around and go, this is not perfection, but heaven is. It's a perfect place with perfect people. Look at verse 2 again. I saw the holy city, the, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And it's like John is mixing his metaphors. It's a city and yet it's a bride. Come down to verse 9. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And it's perplexing. Is it a city or is it a people? Is it a city or is it a bride? And the answer is it's both. It's both. Because we are that city. We, the people of God, the bride of Christ, are that city. I hope you grasp that. It's not just a place. It's a place full of people. People who have put their faith in Jesus. People who have trusted in Jesus. We are the bride of Christ. So, so heaven is a wonderful place. But John is not just describing the place. He's describing people. We're not just spectators in heaven. We are the spectacle. And when you understand that, you read Revelation 21 differently. It's not just spatial. It's relational. Look at verse 11, it, that is the bride, shone with the glory of God. So we're going to be people shining with all the brilliance of God. Verse 18, that the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. But we are the wall, we are the city. We will shine, we will be pure. No impurity, no lust, no greed, no sickness, no sin, none of that stuff. Now, here's the problem. When you think about people, when you think about people, sometimes you just think of all the pain that people brings, all the disappointments, all the heartache, all the grief. But none of that's going to be there. Chapter 22, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. Praise God for that, yep. The curse of Genesis 3 has been dealt with once and for all. The presence of sin has been dealt with. 
So all our relationships will be perfect. All our communication will be perfect. There's no evil there. Uh, Jim Packer says this, if we eliminate all forms of pain, evil, conflict, and distress, and replace them, replace them every concept of excellence, joy, God-given pleasure, we know, we'll get a glimpse of heaven. It's perfection. Perfect relationships, free from limitations, free from frustrations, and free from failure. Let me ask you, do you ever long for that day where you're finally free? You're finally free from your suffering. You're finally free from your sin. You no longer have that daily fight to pursue godliness. Take you long for the day when you stop causing pain to other people and other people stop hurting you. That's what heaven's going to be like. People, perfect people, pure people. People from every nation, that is verses 15 to 17 of chapter 21. The angel has this measuring rod and he measures this city. Remember, the city is people. And the walls, verse 7, 17, are 65 meters thick. That's pretty thick walls. And he's got this, this picture of vastness, of magnitude, of this mind-blowing multitudes. It's Revelation 7, after I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every people, tribe, language, and nation. Just let your mind be blown away by the magnitude of heaven. And people from Africa and from Asia and from America and from Europe and people from unknown people groups that you never heard of. And you have absolutely nothing in common with them except for the Lord Jesus Christ. But because of Jesus, you are brothers and sisters, and you're around that throne worshipping. Who are these people? They are people who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They are people who have trusted in Jesus. According to verse 7, they are the victorious ones. The ones who have claimed that victory of Jesus on their behalf. They've trusted Jesus. They are the ones, verse 27 whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Isn't that beautiful? Not on a church register, not on a baptism register, but in the Lamb's book of life. This is heaven. People gathered around the throne, people loving Jesus from every nation, shining with the glory of God. And when you grasp that, it does change your view of church. Because this tonight, 7 p.m., is the little glimpse of heaven, isn't it? Oh, sure, it's marred by sin. And sure, it's marred by broken relationships. But as we gather in the presence of God to sing his praise, this is a glimpse of heaven. So what is heaven? It's a place, a perfect place with perfect people. But what makes heaven heaven is this. It's the presence of God. The presence of our glorious, holy, majestic God. That's what makes heaven heaven. Look again at verse 3, 21 verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. So three times in one verse we're told that God is going to be with his people. God dwelling with his people. God tabernacling with his people. And again, it's back to Eden, isn't it? Remember Eden with God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. 
This is pretty cool, so stick with me. What made Israel distinct as a nation is that God was with them. They could experience the presence of God with them by fire or by cloud. And if you know your Old Testament, then, then God established what's called a tabernacle or a temple. And the outer court of the temple was where the sacrifices were made. The inner court of the temple was where the priests would go. But then you had the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was, it was a place where God's Shekinah glory was seen. You could experience the presence of God, except you couldn't, because no one's allowed in there. Now, what you might not know about the Holy of Holies was that it was shaped like a perfect cube, 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet. And when you've grasped that, chapter 21, verse 16, makes a bit more sense. Because this city is laid out like a square, perfect square, as long as it was wide, 2,200 kilometers in length. And as high as it is long. So this city, the holy city, is a perfect cube shape, which is kind of weird until you realize he's picking up this image of the Holy of Holies. Because this city, this perfect city, is this symbol that you can come into the kind of glory of God. You can experience the glory, the majesty, the splendor of God face to face. You don't need to go behind a curtain. You don't need a priest. You don't need a sacrifice. He's just there 24-7. Doesn't that excite you? Seeing your glorious, holy, majestic, awesome, splendid God 24-7, total access, unrestricted, unrestrained, you get to enjoy him and experience him and experience his goodness and his kindness and his tenderness and his love. Remember the incarnation? When Jesus stepped into the world, it says the world became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Same word used here. So 2,000 years ago, you could have experienced the presence of God if you traveled to the other side of the world in Jerusalem. But this new creation, you're going to see him 24-7. Verse 22, I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. I hope you realize you won't need a Bible in heaven. You won't need this anymore because God will speak to you and you'll speak to him. You won't go on prayer walks with your prayer list. You just talk to him face to face. You'll enjoy him. You'll encounter him. You'll worship him. Well, this heaven is the perfect place for the perfect people in the presence of a perfect God. A few rapid-fire questions, 60-second questions, not, not silly questions like, will I be bored in heaven or will my, will my pets get to heaven? These are important questions. What will you do in heaven? Because many of us are a bit concerned that we're going to get bored in heaven. What will you do in heaven? I say you, you, you will serve without exhaustion. You will fellowship without fear. You will worship without distraction. And you will rest without boredom. You'll, you'll serve without exhaustion. We're going to work in heaven. 22 verse 3, the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Is that picture of the, the parable of the miners where that, that man made a tenfold increase. And so, and so the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You'll be rewarded with ten cities to look after. So in heaven, we will get to steward and we'll get to manage God's perfect creation without exhaustion. Verse 
We'll fellowship without fear. We'll enjoy each other's company without disappointments or damaged relationships. We will rest without boredom and we will worship without distraction. You are never going to get bored in heaven. Will we have regrets in heaven? Will you be up in heaven enjoying God and look back on your life and think, oh, I shouldn't have had that conversation or oh, I really regret not doing that overseas trip to the UK and oh, I'm missing my Mossman mansion and my, and my pet cat. Of course you won't. Isaiah 65, the former shall not be remembered, not even come to mind. So you won't even think about all that stuff. Will you know each other in heaven? That's a good question. Will we know each other in heaven? The answer is, of course you will. Of course you will. Do you remember when Peter, James, and John went up the mountain and saw the transfigured Jesus? Remember that story? Peter, James, and John went, went up the mountain, the, the transfiguration, and Jesus was there, and Elijah was there, and, and Moses was there. And Elijah and Moses had been dead for hundreds of years. But Peter, James, and John still recognized them. And I don't think that Elijah and Moses had name tags on them. <laughs> they just knew who they were. I am thoroughly persuaded that, that you'll get to heaven and you'll spot that person that you led to Christ and you'll, you'll wink at them. You'll you spot that friend that you sat with and you wept with and you, you encouraged them to hold fast to Christ and, and you will smile at them. And your kids who you led to Christ, they will be there. And your spouse, you'll, you'll look at them and say, hey, sweetheart, I knew that was you. Of course we're going to know each other. But there won't be marriage in heaven. There will be no marriage in heaven because marriage is a human institution for this world. It's a God's institution for this world, rather. But its purpose on this world is to point us to the relationship between Christ and his church. You won't need marriage in heaven. How old will you be in heaven? People seem to be a, a bit obsessed with that question. How old will I be in heaven? One preacher said this, we'll all be 33 years old because that's how old Jesus was when he died. What utter nonsense. <laughs> what utter garbage. But it's a bit of a strange question because I don't think there'll be age in heaven. Because age, in the sense that we speak of age now, is a function of the decaying effects of sin. I don't believe that a baby who died in infancy will be a baby for eternity, nor do I believe that a person who's emancipated and is decaying in his decrepit old age will look like that. I think this old concept of age is something entirely different. It would be the perfect age, God's chosen age for us that we can barely explain and don't really understand. Here's the most important question, though, and you must answer this one. Are you ready for heaven? Are you ready for heaven? Because God is there, and the Lord Jesus, your Savior, is there, and the angels are there in their myriads, and people are there, but the question is, are you going to be there? Because not everybody's going to be in heaven. Just because you're born or live a good life doesn't mean you will pop up in heaven. 21 verse 8, all those who are cowardly, unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, all those people who habitually lived in a way that indicated they have no allegiance to Jesus, they have no relationship with Jesus, all those people who lived a life denying the lordship of Christ, they will not be there. 
Well, Jesus said, Jesus, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So you want to make sure that you are in heaven, go through the door marked Jesus Christ. There is no other door, there's no other entrance, there's no other way. When he was president of the US, Ronald Reagan was asked this question, apparently. If you were to die tonight, are you certain you would go to heaven? He looked at the man and said, well, John 3.16 says, so God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I believe in Jesus being the son of God. He's my Lord and my Savior, so of course I'm going to heaven. It's a good answer, isn't it? It's a good answer, but, you know, quoting a Bible verse doesn't get you there. Because believing in Jesus is not just a tick the box. It's actually allowing Jesus to be Lord of your life. It's actually living with Jesus as Lord. If you truly believe, it shapes absolutely everything about you. It shapes what you invest your time in now in light of eternity, that you start to store treasures in heaven, not on earth. As I've prepared to preach on heaven, as I've focused on heaven, I've just been, I guess, personally convicted that I waste so much of my time and my energy with all these trinkets and toys of this world that will not last. I've just come back from the UK. It took us 40 hours to get home. You know when, you, when your plane lands back in Sydney? And when, when the wheels of the plane hit the tarmac, if you're on that plane, you hear this noise. And of course, the whole plane, everyone undoes their seatbelts. And then the, over the loudspeaker, the air steward will say, please remain seated until the plane comes to a complete standstill. But no one takes a blind bit of notice. And they're up out their seats, they're emptying the overhead lockers because they're desperate to get off the plane. I don't think I've ever witnessed anybody saying, please let me stay on this plane a bit longer because the seats are so comfortable and this food is so delicious. Because when you're home, you're home. And when you're home, you don't want to stay on the plane. Now, here's the issue, that this life that we're living is like the plane. It's just the plane to get us to our eternal home. So why do we enjoy this plane ride so much? Why do we think the seats are comfortable and the food is delicious and the movie selection is amazing? Because it's not. This world is a good world, but it's not a perfect world. So please, 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 don't pour yourself out for things that will perish. Pour yourself out for things that will last. Would you invest in eternity? Would you sit loosely to the things of this world? Because heaven is your home. And if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to be there. It's going to be perfect. The perfect place with perfect people in the presence of your perfect God. And that's why we pray, come Lord Jesus, please come.